Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to Get Your Goat. Your host, Josh, here. A lot to get into. Aaron Rodgers this morning, out with COVID. Won't play this weekend against the Chiefs. I'll get into that a little bit. Then, to me, a very lackluster trade deadline. No big move I was expecting or was hoping for happened this a week yesterday, uh, there's a few big moves before which I've talked about. Von Miller to the Rams and then Zach Ertz a few weeks ago. But no huge deal this weekend. So, what does that mean for the teams moving forward? I'm going to go over the Giants-Chiefs Monday night game. What I liked about it. What I didn't like about it. I'll preview the Jets-Colts Thursday night football game tomorrow. Then I'll give you my top five teams in the NFL, go over some NBA, and then also the Atlanta Braves winning the World Series. I will be getting to them later in my podcast, but I just want to say congratulations, Atlanta, to the Braves. You beat Houston. You beat the Cheaters. They'll always be remembered for that, and I'm happy that since that 2017 scandal, which happened to one They have lost their next two World Series appearances in 2019 and 2021. Nothing makes me happier. Then I'll give you my NHL top five. And then I'll also react to the college football playoff rankings that were revealed to me yesterday. I agreed with most of them and what they said. But there were some shocking things. But as a Michigan fan... I'll take it and I will break that down. So first, Aaron Rodgers out with COVID-19. He is not vaccinated. So because of that, uh, he does not get to play on Sunday. If he was vaccinated, he could come back with two negative tests and he could play. However, since he is not, he is out. This is huge because this is a game I had circled for a while now. On week 9, the Green Bay Packers, Kansas City Chiefs, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, the uh, State Farm showdown, you could say, between their two dueling commercials that they do. This loses a lot of luster. Uh, I probably would have picked the uh, Packers to win this game if Aaron Rodgers was in, considering how well they've played. Uh, This, to me is a huge, huge loss for the Packers who are rolling right now. Longest win streak in football with seven games. Uh, Have all the momentum. They were getting Devontae Adams back, getting their receivers back as well for this game, for this epic showdown. So losing Aaron Rodgers, it's a huge loss. There's no sugarcoating that. And then we're also going to see Jordan Love, most likely getting the start. He's thrown into the fire now against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead. I know the Kansas City Chiefs aren't as strong as they had been last year or the year before. But this is a big, big test for Jordan Love. We're going to see what the Packers are made of, what this team would have looked like if Aaron Rodgers were to have held out this year or have been traded this, to me, is a foreglimpse of the future. I'm not much on making out after one game, 
But after one game, I'll make an assessment to see if I like Jordan Love in this role with the Packers or not. This is a show-up or shut-up game for uh, Jordan Love. And this will also highlight Aaron Rodgers' value with the team. I do not think the Green Bay Packers go on the road to Arrowhead with Jordan Love starting at quarterback, no Aaron Rodgers, and winning that football game. Let me repeat that. There's no way the Green Bay Packers are beating the Kansas City Chiefs without Aaron Rodgers on Sunday. Now, because of that, to me, this matchup loses a lot of luster because that's what the people wanted to see, and we no longer get to see that. But if the Packers lose, to me, it's not a huge dent on them uh, because, you know, uh, there is no Aaron Rodgers. But if you lose, that's two losses at a very uh, crowded top of the NFC, which could haunt them down the road, you know, if Aaron Rodgers, you know, was able to play this weekend. But that's how I feel about that. Now moving on to an epic lame trade deadline. To me, the biggest deal was a deal that never happened. Now, yesterday morning, Odell Beckham's dad uh, upset at Baker Mayfield not throwing him to football, showing clips. Uh, I've been saying now for a bit that I don't think those two can coexist. Baker and Odell is not in sync. It's not that connection uh, you hope for, you know, the Tom Brady Randy Moss connection, the Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, the Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, the Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. Uh, it's not one of those connections at all. They're, they're always on sync. It never feels like that. So I thought they need to get rid of them. They were great last year without him. I thought maybe this year it would open up the offense a little bit more, but the more I watch, the more I don't like it. And I thought they needed to get him away from the team. And they were close because the Browns and Saints tried to complete a deal, but money was the holdup. And what a blockbuster deal that would have been, shipping him over to the Saints. And to me, that would have been a big deal because Michael Thomas this morning, uh, said that he is not returning this year. There was a setback with his ankle uh, surgery and injury. So he's not playing this year. Missed most of last year. Now is missing this year. Uh, what to me was once, you know, a top receiver in the league is now uh, two years of not playing. So that hurts him a lot. Uh, so having OBJ would have helped the Saints offense, especially... No Jameis Winston. Uh, now it's with his torn ACL, you're throwing in Taysom Hill or Trevor Simeon into the mix. And I think you're going to need more of an Alvin Kamara. I believe now teams will stack the box more than ever. Uh, if they see Kamara go out, it's going to be double team on Kamara. That is the essence of their offense. They have no other weapons to kind of load up on now. And that's going to hurt the Saints. So that would have been a big deal for them. And also the Browns either getting draft picks or players uh, to at least supplement the loss of OBJ. Uh, so that was a big deal that did not go through. Other than that, really lackluster deals. 
uh, Melvin Ingram uh, went to the Chiefs in a trade. To me, that was very interesting. I know Melvin Ingram's not the player he was, but you're a Steelers team who is kind of fighting the Kansas City Chiefs uh, for a playoff spot, you know, and you decide to send them a decent player, which could help them. I really uh, did not expect Pittsburgh to help out a rival, so to say, in the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs also traded a guard for another tight end uh, in shocking moves. So we'll see what those minor moves were. But there was no big moves that I was expecting. OBJ didn't leave. Xavier Howard uh, is still there. Uh, the Packers, of course, didn't make a move. No team really made a move. Allen Robinson still with his team. So again, a lackluster trade deadline uh, to say the least. Now I'm going to get into Monday Night Football highlights. I predicted the Chiefs to win, and I predicted them to win uh, more convincingly than they did on Monday night. Final score was 2017, the go-ahead field goal, with a minute left. Now, to me, it was a great, great opening drive by the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they got the ball first, and they, it was just a methodical drive. And even with this Giants defense showing, uh, you know, putting the two safeties high, cutting out the deep play with Tyreek Hill, which forces you to dink and dunk. And it's no sexy form of offense. It's not the typical style of Chiefs offense at all. I mean, I don't I don't think Patrick Mahomes had a pass of uh, 10 yards or more down the field until the third quarter. Uh, they were just giving him the easy throws and, you know, making uh, Derek Gore make plays or Tyreek Hill getting him the ball quick. You know, which works because, you know, those are your playmakers and you want the ball in the hands of your playmakers. So I'm fine with the offense not being sexy as long as it's effective. I'll take effective over sexy because effective will win out any day of the week. So they're driving, you know, getting themselves into favorable uh, third downs, only one third down on that drive at third and three, you know, second and five. They were never putting themselves in harm's way. Patrick was making the smart play. And then, you know, third and goal at the Giants five. And Patrick Mahomes throws an interception. I said no interceptions. I want to see him throw. And he throws one. Again, to me, it wasn't his fault. He was trying to make a play, scrambling around in the pocket, and throws a dart uh, to... Uh, Gordon in the end zone bounces off his face mask in the air and the Giants intercept it. And I don't know how many Chiefs turnovers I've seen this season where the wide receivers for the Chiefs drop the ball, it bounces off of them. And I mean, it's just bad. Make a play on the ball. Uh, Patrick Mahomes throws you the ball. You've got to take better care of of that. I mean, to me, that drive kind of epitomized the season, but I like how they did not escape what they were going to do. Uh, right away, right after that, Daniel Jones throws an interception, gives the Kansas City Chiefs a short field, and they were able to get a touchdown and work off of it, but they weren't going for the deep plays. They weren't really there, but again, 
one big thing for the Chiefs is the turnovers. Not only was it where one for Patrick Mahomes' interception, but Travis Kelsey fumbling the ball. They're driving late in the game, and thankfully this didn't cost them. Uh, but Travis Kelsey and his fumble, Chiefs defender just punched the ball out, and when you're leading the league in turnovers, you're losing the turnover margin, it will not help you win games. This all comes back to bite you when you have to put your defense out on the field. Thankfully, that you know the Kansas City offense dominated uh, time of possession. They ran 77 plays to the Giants, 56. So they were able to do that. They were able to get yards. They were able to run effectively uh, with uh, Derek Gore, which I was very pleased about. Uh, looked better than Daryl Williams. And I think that helped. But when you're also two for six in the red zone, a turnover in the red zone, uh, kicking field goals, not touchdowns, turning the ball over, that does not help. I want to see Kansas City be a little bit more cleaner in all aspects of the game. Offense, uh, defense, and special teams. They really do need that. Uh but now looking at the Giants side of things, they're now 2-6. and six. To me, they're dead. There's no chance in making the playoffs with how the Cowboys are looking this year in that division and also how the, uh, the other things are stacking up as well. Uh, so, Giants are done. They're toast. If you're a Giants fan... I know you've been miserable for some time now, but this is just another year uh, to add uh, to your misery. Daniel Jones is not the guy. He isn't. The interception was just terrible that he threw on Monday night. Uh, He's bad. Uh, The defense is bad. The line is bad. Your head coach, Joe Judge, I don't have faith in him. So really, uh, to me, it's just the same story year after year, week after week. With the New York Giants, they're a pathetic football team. uh, And games they can win, uh, they just find ways to lose them. They lost on a field goal to the Chiefs yesterday by three points. Uh, They lost to the Falcons by three points. They lost to the football team by one point. Those are three games you you can win. And that turns your season where you're sitting at two and six uh, to five and three. Uh, so those are big uh, swings in terms of a poor football team and a team where you need to optimize and not really make mistakes, and that's what they do. So they're done. But the Chiefs, big, big win they were able to pull out to get back to 500. The schedule's daunting from here on out. They play the Packers. No Aaron Rodgers now. That helps, but then you play Las Vegas, you play the Dallas Cowboys, you play Vegas again, you play the uh, Chargers again. You also play the Bengals and the Steelers. So really, uh, the road ahead is tough for the Kansas City Chiefs. With their offense, how they've looked this year, there is nothing that instills faith in me, uh, you know, that they are a great team. To me... They're just average this year. And I can't believe I'm saying that because in years past, they've been otherworldly. 
you know, doing great, but the defense has taken more than a step back, taken 10 or 12 step backs. And uh, this offense has taken a step back. Uh, nobody, you know, outside of Tyreek Hill has developed. They let Sammy Watkins go. And they haven't been able to uh, succeed with the players behind Tyreek and Travis Kelsey, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson. They'll make plays every now and then, but they've not been able to consistently rely on those players. And that is dooming the Chiefs, the offensive line, Orlando Brown, uh, to me, is a wash at this point, considering how much the Chiefs gave up to him. I think he's a good player. But considering just the immense draft pool that they gave up, uh, that's when we're going to look back in years and say, uh, Chiefs, you got an F for that trade. And that's another thing, too. I mean, I'll just say how big Aaron Rodgers is. You know, this game was very close uh, to the line before the Aaron Rodgers announcements, and now Kansas City's already a seven-point favorite. That's how big a swing Aaron Rodgers makes. But there's also another game I wanted to talk to, and I can't believe I missed this on my previous podcast. I wanted to talk about the Sunday night game, and somehow I blew it, so I apologize. But I do quickly want to touch base on that game because I was very upset that, you know, what a great uh, Sunday spooky game that was. Another one that added to the spooky Sunday Uh and I forgot to talk about it on my previous podcast, and that was the Dallas Cowboys beating the Minnesota Vikings. And you could say to me, you know, that's expected. But the Dallas Cowboys didn't have Dak Prescott, so I picked the Vikings to win this game. I did. I picked the Vikings to win this game. I said, I don't think Cooper Rush can do it. Maybe if it was at home, it would give him a chance, but I thought Minnesota can do it. I thought they'd play good. And did my boy con artist Kirk Cousins show up to play? He did. The all-time pathetic primetime quarterback that he is. Uh, I believe he only has like one or two wins in primetime. That's how embarrassing he is. Uh, Had another all-time gaffe on his resume. I don't know why they show Kirk Cousins in primetime. I mean, I know every team gets... One or two games. But if I was Kirk Cousins, I'd be emailing the league, calling him. Please, don't ever quote me on a Thursday night, a Sunday night, a Monday night game again. uh, Because those are just detrimental to me and my team. I cannot live up to those expectations. And he didn't. Cooper Rush outplayed Kirk Cousins. Cooper Rush. 325 yards, two touchdowns, game-winning drive for Cooper Rush. To Kirk Cousins, 184 yards, one touchdown, and game-failing drive. All-time bad performance by the Minnesota Vikings. And to me, you know, your defense, you know, which has been all right, holds the Cowboys to 20 points, and you're the Minnesota Vikings, and you can't score more than 16? I mean, they just had Cooper Rush. I know the Cowboys' defense is good. Much better than they were last year. But you scored 33 points on the Cardinals. And you scored 34 on the Panthers. And 
Now you're telling me you can't score more than that on the Cowboys? Kirk Cousins got nothing? I mean, Trevon, you know, did let some passes, and he's not an all-time shutdown cornerback by any stretch of the imagination. You've got Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen at your disposal. You had Dalvin Cook back. This offense really couldn't get anything going at all. And, you know, they opened with the touchdown. Dallas missed a field goal. And I thought, you know, this is it. Then Dallas had an interception, and it was just three and out, three and out. You know, they answer with a field goal uh, before te- uh, half. You're up 10 to three. You feel good, and you can only score six points in the second half. Two field goals, uh, uh, three pu- or three field goals, uh, two field goals, three punts, turnover on downs. I mean, this is just. Classic con artist Cook or con artist Kirk, and I actually just said maybe it was a jinx. I said you know last week that I think Kirk Cousins is you know not living up to the con artist name this year. He's actually playing well, a little under the radar. Thirteen touchdowns, two interceptions, but then you slap him into a prime time game, and he does nothing. The team does nothing. Uh, make some poor throws, poor decisions uh, with the ball, take some costly sacks, uh, and he just shows that he is not the guy to lead you to anything, uh, nothing. Playoff victories, Super Bowl victories, con artist Kirk is not that guy. I'm glad we were all able to see it in prime time that con artist Kirk will continue to be con artist Kirk. Now, to me, this gets me excited uh, because I still get to see him in three more primetime games. I don't know how the Vikings were able to steal four primetime slots uh, getting this one against the Cowboys, but they also have a Thursday night against Pittsburgh, a Monday night against Chicago, and a Sunday night against Green Bay. I am looking forward to watching all of those games in its entirety and watching Con Artist Kirk fall. That's what I wanted to get up on to speed on. I apologize for missing that game because I needed to say that. Now, tomorrow's Thursday night game. The New York Jets and the Indianapolis Colts. Last week, I was thinking this game is going to be a blowout. Really don't need to watch it. I can catch up on the highlights. Then, the New York Jets surprised me. They beat the Bengals this past weekend. And it threw me for a loop. Really made me second-guess my decision on picking the Colts for tomorrow night. Should I still keep with the Colts or not? Spoiler alert, I'm still sticking with the Colts. The Jets have two big wins over division winners, uh, or, or division leaders, my bad. The Titans leave a division they got to win over. The Bengals were leading their division. And they just beat them. Now the Ravens are winning. But I'm just thinking, if the Jets already have those two big wins against division leaders, I don't see them getting one against the Colts. I just don't. Maybe it'll be competitive. Maybe Mike White can do it again. It's a primetime game. But the Colts... Uh, who just are coming off 
to me, a huge time blunder against the Tennessee Titans, uh, really on the shoulders of Carson Wentz, where he has to be better, you know, two interceptions, one in fourth quarter. That was a pick six and then one in overtime, which uh, had them lose the game. And those interceptions cost them the game. Car- or Carson Wentz has got uh, to do better, but I think this team can handle the Jets. I think it will be a steady dose of Jonathan Taylor and this run game. I don't think Carson Wentz will make the interceptions. I really don't think Mike White will repeat you know, the great success that he just had. I believe thrown for like 400 yards. That was an amazing performance of him that made me kind of cast doubts over this. But I'm still going to roll with the Indianapolis Colts this weekend. Primetime game for the Colts. Again, as I said, they're coming off a loss. They just won their past primetime game though two weeks ago against the Niners. But one thing that worries me just with both these teams, you're playing on a short week. You just played Sunday. The Colts just played a few extra minutes in overtime. Jets had a hard fight game. These two teams are going to be tired. I do expect some sloppy play. Hopefully no big injuries on either side. Uh, But I think the Jets really expended more energy in a loss than the Colts did in a win. Now if you're the Colts, you're thinking, I really wish we had that one against the Titans, knowing that Derrick Henry will be out for the rest of the regular season. You know, if that's a game we win, we're now sitting at 4-4. and And they're at 5-3. and three. We're one game behind. Uh, now we're essentially three games behind. Uh, my bad. Four. Uh, because of the, the tiebreaker that Tennessee owns on them. So that is a huge, huge loss that they're going to make up. I don't think they will. Uh, looking at the Colts still playing the Bills, the Bucks, Patriots, Cardinals, Raiders. I don't think they make that up. I still believe they can sneak into the playoffs. So if Carson Wentz uh, just stops forcing the ball when he's getting sacked, I mean, just throw it away. Take the sack, anything except the fumbles and interceptions that he's been throwing away this season. But I do believe that the Colts get the win this weekend. Now, we're eight weeks through, as I do every week. On, a, on my podcast, I give some lists, some top fives. I'm doing that right now. I'm giving you my top five teams in the NFL. Number five, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Why? Well, they were just at number three. This was a good team and really a bad loss for them against the New Orleans Saints. They had charged to get the number one seed, to cement themselves in a division. They lose this game. And I would put the blame on two things. One, Aaron Rodgers and his three turnovers, two of them interceptions. One of those was a pick six. That was huge. The other defensive penalties. This defense looked good and they were able to stop them, but they kept drives alive by the penalties. That was huge. They need to cut down that one. I thought the secondary was going to hurt them. It's been penalties as of late. They need to cut down on those. But even though Tom Brady threw uh, or threw two interceptions, had a fumble, 
I still believe, you know, he is on the MVP watch number one, uh, thrown for the most yards, most touchdowns. I mean, at 44 years old, he is playing so well. He's had a tough time with the Saints. Then again, there's a lot of teams I'll mention that already have losses and team players have tough times against. But the Bucks are still for real. Number four, the Dallas Cowboys. Why? This was already a good team. Number five on my list last week. But the way their defense looked, Micah Parsons, defensive rookie of the year watch already. It's looking like he'll just solidify that himself. And then you went on the road with your backup quarterback, Cooper Rush. Yeah, you get to move up a few spots because I think if they would have had Dak, this really would have been a blowout. It was a great team win, though, for the Dallas Cowboys. I think in this tight-knit group, uh, Cooper Rush felt comfortable with Amari Cooper, uh, Cooper to Cooper, uh, C.D. Lamb, uh, Ezekiel Elliott as well. This was a great win. This team is playing great as well. They're sitting at 6-1. and one. Number three, the Los Angeles Rams sitting at seven and one. Why are they at three? Well, they're also on fire right now. A Cooper Cup is putting up Megatron like numbers, and he has the stature the opposite of Megatron. I believe he's on pace for just shy of 2,000 yards. Uh, he is having himself a season uh, looking like an MVP candidate. Uh, the connection there between Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup is real. Newsflash, too. They also just traded for Von Miller. That shores up some things on the defensive end or defensive side of the ball as well. We'll see how that all works out for them. But yeah, a p- pretty big trade that the Los Angeles Rams just made, and they're already at 7 and 1. Number two, Arizona Cardinals. Why? They were just at one, but with that loss this past week, they had to drop. We'll see how this shakes out if Kyler Murray's injury prolongs, but Kyler's been great this season. DeAndre Hopkins has been good. They lost Max Williams, and they said, we'll do you one better. We'll upgrade our tight end position in getting Zach Ertz. This defense loses J.J. Watt. I was expecting them to maybe make a trade on the defensive end uh, to shore some things up, kind of go all in. But I like what the Cardinals are doing. They're playing the long game. They know Seattle has ruined their draft picks with Jamal Adams and future ones. They know the Rams have done the same thing except 10 times worse with the likes of Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford, now Von Miller. They're down in the dumps. Another team, the 49ers, giving up all that draft capital for Trey Lance. And the Cardinals are sitting there at 7-1 through the draft, through free agency, saying, this is not a win-now year. We've got the next four or five in the bag with how old those three other teams will be. And with no capital that they have, Arizona Cardinals, to me, won't win it this year. But they'll be the favorites in this division for the next four or five years. Number one, Green Bay Packers. That's right. No Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, and the Packers go on the road to beat the undefeated Cardinals. 
You beat the heavyweight, you're the challenger, you go into their stadium and you knock them out, you get to be number one. That's what Aaron Rodgers in the pack did. Not only that, but Aaron Rodgers became a meme. Also, on the ground as well with the helmet above him. Great meme. And then on top of that, which makes me love Aaron Rodgers even more. Actually, two more things. Another one. He was John Wick for Halloween. Yeah, I guess you could say I'm back. Aaron Rodgers declared that. Then, he's donating a million dollars to fans in Bitcoin. I mean, this guy is living it up. And then, of course, the news of COVID derails all of that, sadly. But the Packers right now are the best team in football. There's no doubt about it to me. Uh, Offensively, they look scary. Defensively as well. They're not world be- but not world beaters, but they make timely stops, which is huge for their case. So those are my top five teams again. Same teams as last week, but week before, just a different order. All NFC teams, all deservingly so. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Dallas Cowboys, the Los Angeles Rams, the Arizona Cardinals, and the Green Bay Packers. Now moving on uh, to some quick NBA talk. Jimmy Butler. Is he making an MVP case already? Yes, it's young in the NBA season. But Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat is playing great. This Miami Heat team led by Eric Spolstra is playing great. And to me, the key is, you know, not only a Kyle Lowry finding a groove and running the point, which is an upgrade over Goran Dragic for sure. Uh, Jimmy Butler doing what Jimmy Butler does. You know, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo. But it is the uh, return of Tyler Hero, who was the bubble star who faded last year and said maybe he was just the bubble wonder. But he has shown through seven games that he is still a real player, a threat. He is playing great to me. He is the underrated star. If a Cav or if a Heat can have a lineup of Butler, Lowry, Robinson, uh, Adebayo, Hero off a of bench, this is very dangerous. With Jimmy Butler, the leader that he is, uh, making perimeter shots, getting uh, to the rim, and you know, averaging twenty five points a game, this Heat team is dangerous. To me, they are a top three team in the East. Jimmy Butler can be the favorite for MVP as well if he is leading this team. Miami Heat are very exciting to watch and to me are a top three team in the East. But we got two big games tonight. Hawks and Nets, similar records in this early season, four and three. You got Trey Young going up against Kevin Durant. You know, Brooklyn a little shaky to start the season uh, so far. No Kyrie Irving. They found some ways to win. They've also found some ways to lose. Atlanta Hawks. I'm not a fan of the Hawks. To me, they weren't real Eastern. Uh, you know, I know they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. That wasn't really great. They're going to need a lot of help to get back up there. I believe Brooklyn will show why they are a possibility of being in there. And I believe the Brooklyn Nets will beat the Atlanta Hawks. 
uh, tonight. And NBA other game, another great uh, point guard show is the Charlotte Hornets and the Golden State Warriors point guard duel between LaMelo Ball and Steph Curry. To me, this will be a great, uh, great game. And I think, you know, ESPN, primetime, we're going to see LaMelo Ball, see if he can have some of those great stat lines that he's already been having this season. You know, the 38 and 8 type of games, the 30 points, 8, re- eight rebounds, 8 assists. See if Steph Curry, if this game is close, can he make key clutch shots in the fourth quarter? We've seen that already this season. Him kind of just outscoring everyone in the first three and kind of having a Houdini disappearing act in the fourth quarter. That's actually when Golden State needs him to show up. Their one loss is when he didn't show up in the fourth quarter. I think he'll need that for sure. And I think he will. And I think the Golden State Warriors win this game. They improve to 6-1. and one, And they're already threats, legitimate threats, in the West with no Clay Thompson back yet. If they can sustain this sort of play, this uh, sustain this sort of record without Clay, it makes me think, do they need Clay? But also just adding that piece to the puzzle, if it doesn't disrupt chemistry, will be huge for this team, and they could emerge as favorites in the West if they play the way they do. But the West, to me, you got two clear cutout teams already, the Utah Jazz and the Golden State Warriors. To me, a lot of the rest of the teams have big question marks. Now moving on to MLB. The Atlanta Braves won the World Series. It just feels right to say. It feels good to say that the Atlanta Braves beat the Houston Astros. When all was going wrong, I could say the Atlanta Braves beat the Houston Astros this year in the World Series. And the one wrong prediction I had for the World Series was on Monday where I said Houston would win Game 6 to force a Game 7. I was wrong about that. I was happily wrong about that as well. I'm happy that the Braves finished them off in six games. Max Fried, excellent, excellent uh, uh, pitching game last night. Six innings. Uh, no runs allowed, six strikeouts. I mean, the Atlanta Braves in total pitched a shutout on Houston. It was 7-0. So Lair, finals, or World Series MVP with three home runs in this series. Huge one last night, 446 feet. The three-run shot to make it through zero. Then Swanson, a two-run shot. Then Freeman with a solo shot. I mean, Freddie Freeman, to me, was the unsung hero. To me, there was a case that he could have won World Series MVP as well with the way that he played in the series, batting 318. He was tremendous. But again, to me, the bullpen was also good for Atlanta. Uh, specifically, uh, Matsek, he was sensational in this offense of Houston who was really consistently in my top five all year, who I touted as the best offense, scoring the most runs in baseball, 
and they couldn't score runs in this series to me outside of Altuve, uh, ALCS MVP Jordan Alvarez could not get it going. Batting champion Yuli Gurriel couldn't get it going. Up and coming Kyle Tucker, Bregman coming back. Correa didn't have a signature moment in this series as he's had in others this uh, postseason. So really, it was the Braves pitching surprising me, shutting out the Houston Astros, the Braves coming up big, and the worst team in terms of win-loss won the World Series. An 88-win team beat out a 106-win Dodger team, beat out a 95-win Houston team. I mean, Atlanta stuck through it all. Their young star, Ronald Acuna, but they had others. They had Eddie Rosario, uh, Soler, Freddie Freeman, up-and-coming Austin Riley, Jock Peterson. I mean, this team played great, had a great series against the Houston Astros and were able uh, to win it all. So, once again, congratulations to the Houston, to the Atlanta Braves, they deserve it. Now, you would think typically when teams repeat, they're close to the top of the odds. Atlanta Braves to repeat are nine and one. To me, it's hard to repeat in baseball because it's such a long season, 162 games. Uh, we saw it take its toll on the Dodgers, even though they were 106 wins. In the postseason, they just could not do it. But they are number three at nine to one odds uh, to repeat. I like those odds, especially if they keep the team together. Not a lot of question marks on leaving. Maybe Freddie Freeman, but I think he'll stay with Atlanta. To me, you have other question marks. Astros, who are ahead of him, Carlos Correa, where will he go? A Dodgers, a plethora of question marks. Uh, Kenley Jensen. Uh, Max Scherzer, uh, Corey Seager, all those guys. Yankees sitting at 10 to 1. To me personally, I think that's a joke. To me, the Yankees have to look at themselves hard in the mirror after watching the Braves win and just be sick to their stomach how bad they really are. They shouldn't have 10 to 1 odds, the fourth best to win the World Series, with how they're currently constructed, with their coach or manager, Aaron Boone. I would put the White Sox ahead of them the Red Sox, the Rays, the Giants. And you see the Giants, who were the best regular season team in baseball, 107 wins at 16-1 to 1 odds, uh, sitting at ninth best to win the World Series. You know, to me, they really caught fire this year, and this could have been a year they won it. Uh, they did not. I don't know if they can replicate that same success next year. Now moving on to the NHL. And I've got just got to ask this question. Will the Arizona Coyotes ever win a game? They're the only team so far to have not won one. Ten games played, one point, zero wins, nine losses, one overtime loss. I said, I've been saying this for a while, that the Arizona, Car- or Arizona Coyotes were going to be the worst team in the NHL by far and could be the worst team in NHL history this season that they play. And right now I'm right. They're on pace to get like eight to nine points this season. That's how bad they are. They are that bad. 
They are the ultimate tanking team right now. Really, no shot to win games. They can't score, and that's really what's killing them. You know, they've lost games two to one, uh, two to zero. Uh, they just cannot score, and I think that's going to be a trend that will continue when you trade away all your team. That's what you're going to get. You're going to get a team that cannot score, can't defend, can't goaltend. Uh, I really don't know when the Coyotes will get their first win. Let's see. Let me just look at their schedule, make a prediction. The Ducks this weekend. Ducks, no, I don't think so. They play the Kraken at home. To me, that could actually be their first one. The Kraken aren't that good. Maybe the Coyotes beat that team. I'm going to go with the Coyotes beating the Kraken. Because after that, they have a road series where they play the Blues, the Predators, they play the Wild. Don't think it will happen then. I'm going with the Kraken on Saturday. So with that, I'm going to give you my top five teams in the NHL. Number five, the Calgary Flames. Why? Well, they are playing really Really good right now in a Pacific division where I thought it would be weak. They are 6-1-2 and two in nine games, sitting at 14 points. Tied for the lead there. Gudbrunson has played good. This team is playing well. Johnny Gaudreau, the trade speculation among him. But he's playing good on the line with Elias Lindholm. That line is catching fire in a start of the season on fire. That is why they are number one, or number five. Number four, the St. Louis Blues. 12 points, they're six and one. Another team I like, David Perron, uh, also veteran player, playing really good. Vladimir Tarasenko playing good. Jordan Bennington, good, but also the backup as well. Uh, Vial Husso, another great goaltender they have in their system. Number three, the Edmonton Oilers. This offense is potent. This power play is potent, led by Dreisaitl and McDavid, but also Nugent Hopkins is having a good year. So far, the goalies are hanging in a net, Koskinen and Smith. So that, to me, will be the question You know, to come down the stretch is a goaltender. But I'll never question this offense unless it's in the postseason and you're getting uh, shut out by the Winnipeg Jets. But the Edmonton Oilers right now are starting the regular season as they should and as expected when everybody touts Dreisaitl and McDavid as such a potent combination. Number two, the Carolina Hurricanes still haven't lost a game yet. They're 8-0. Smeshnikov, great. D'Angelo. Surprisingly, you know, all this, uh, you know, craziness last year with the, uh, I forget if it was the Rangers or the team he was on, uh, kind of forced him to get cut and they couldn't find a trade. Uh, he wound up with the Carolina Hurricanes and he is having a great year after some controversy. Also, their goalies, they were able to get Frederick Anderson, uh, from the, uh, Maple Leafs and Auntie Ranta from the Coyotes, that is also working out well for them. That leads me to my number one team who hasn't lost a game yet in regulation, 
just in overtime, and that is the Florida Panthers. This team is flying high. Looks like they got a chip on their shoulder after how last season ended. They want to be undisputed favorites in this division. And to me, it's working. Jonathan Huberdeau, Barkov, Duclair, Bobrovsky, having himself a season and goaltender, earning that money that he signed a while ago. So those are my top five teams of the NHL. The Calgary Flames, the St. Louis Blues, the Edmonton Oilers, the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Florida Panthers. Now finally, I'm going to wrap up with my reaction to the college football playoff rankings. I was doing some work yesterday. I got the alert that it was on and I said I should check it out. And then, you know, they reveal it in like five. So it was 21 to 25. I saw Wisconsin over Iowa. And I thought it makes sense considering how far Iowa's fallen. You know, I know they were number two in the country in the AP poll. But two straight bad losses uh, to Purdue and then Wisconsin. To me, it's deserving that Wisconsin, even though they have three, should be ahead of them because they're trending in the right direction. And you then you saw Minnesota ahead of them. So you have a loaded Big Ten West right there. Also saw Ole Miss fall a few spots. Then you saw 11 through 15. Auburn, Texas A&M, both sitting at 6-2. and two. Huge game this weekend. They get to play each other. Big, big game, for, I think, for playoff implications. But also Auburn, still a shot at beating Alabama and making it to the SEC championship game if they went out. Big game against Texas A&M. Oklahoma State Baylor sitting at 11-12. and 12. That is another big one as well. Oklahoma State has beat Baylor, but they still play Oklahoma to end the season. And Baylor uh, plays Oklahoma in a week and a half. So those are big. So I thought with kind of how the Big 12 is, maybe I'll see Oklahoma, you know, high in there. Then they released 7-10. to 10. Notre Dame... Was it 10? And I thought rightfully so. I mean, I thought Wake Forest would be at 9. They were at 8-0. and And I thought Michigan would be at 8. And to me, this is where things kind of went off the wheels and surprised me. I thought Michigan would be 8. They were 9 in the AP poll, but I thought they were really going to be 8. Oklahoma is at 8, 9-0. and And I had Oklahoma at number 2 in my personal college football playoff rankings because they're 9-0. and uh, Yes, they haven't looked dominant. And a lot of wins, they don't have a signature win either, but I thought they kind of turned a corner against Texas Tech. They look better. They have a bye week now before they have you know their toughest three-game stretch of Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. But no love there. They had Michigan at number seven, who just suffered a loss. But this showed me that they thought Michigan State was a good team. You had so many people saying, Write Michigan off. They're bad. They're fraudulent. When I thought maybe Michigan State is a good team. To me, Michigan's played a better game. But they've also been blowing teams out uh, a majority of the season. They also have a good win in which they blew out Wisconsin, who the committee respects there at 21. So I'm hoping for Wisconsin to keep on winning games to help that Michigan win out. Then they revealed Georgia at 1. I totally agree with that. To me, that's unanimous at this point. Alabama at two. I was fine with Alabama at two because I had Alabama at uh, in the top four. 
in my rankings, and I thought, you know, even though Alabama has some defensive issues, then they lost to Texas A&M. Other than that, they've been dominant. Uh, they crushed Tennessee. They do have a signature win against Ole Miss in which they dominated that game. Uh, to me, there's still work left to do for Alabama, especially in terms of Auburn and Georgia at the end of the season. But I did respect them there. Michigan State at three, I was fine with because they did earn that win over Michigan, uh, even though they played sloppy lately against Indiana. And to start off against Michigan, we'll see how they fare with some big games up uh, to finish out the stretch. Then I kind of suspected with the way the committee was going, with the head-to-head meaning something, Oregon was at four. I had Oregon at five uh, and uh, Ohio State at six, but I wanted Oregon to be ahead of them. And really it makes sense because they beat Ohio State at the beginning of the year. Big win in Columbus, I respect. And yes, they lost to Stanford and had trouble with California, but they came back against UCLA where game day was here. They blew out Colorado, but they've also blown out their other opponents, you know, Stony Brook, Arizona. Uh, they haven't let every opponent hang on like Oklahoma has. And then Ohio State at seven, uh, to me, really there because of that. But a one causing a lot of controversy was when we saw Cincinnati was actually at six. And I had them in my top four. Uh, just because they were undefeated. They do have a big win over Notre Dame, even though their previous two wins haven't been pretty. They're still an undefeated team. And to me, they really have a long way to go, even though they could finish 12-0. and Only tough game circled left on their schedule is SMU. But the committee doesn't value SMU as a good team. Neither do they in Houston as well. And so we'll see how this Cincinnati plays out at six. But again, I do not like their shot at getting into the playoff. But you have to remember, chaos is still ahead. Alabama could lose another game. That would put Cincinnati in the conversation. Ohio State could lose one, put them in the conversation. Oregon I don't think a two-loss Oregon-Ohio State could get in ahead of him. That happens. You're sitting there at four. So I don't think it's a lot of chaos that you are looking for. I think the one trouble that they have is maybe Oklahoma and the teams behind them. Not really the teams ahead of them. It's if Michigan wins out and Bear wins against Ohio State. Oklahoma, if they went out or even finish with one loss, they could get signature wins over in Oklahoma State or Baylor. So really, it's a lot of conundrums. There is still four weeks left to go in this college football season. Big games I will be previewing this week. Maybe not big, big games. You know, you've got a few. You've got your Texas A&M, uh, Auburn. But you've got a lot of trap games you know, after this ranking, emotion running high, teams that just won big, maybe are looking to next week as well in big games. You've got to keep your composure right now and just take it one week at a time. But other than that, I was actually surprised. I was happy that Michigan's at seven because to me, it confirms if Michigan can just win out, it's very likely 
that they can get in the top four. Yes, winning out is a big task, but it can be done. I'm looking forward to it. So again, this has been Get Your Goat. Tomorrow's game, Jets-Colts. Most of you riding with the Colts, or did the Jets win with Mike White sway your pick? Talk to you all soon. Bye, everybody.